0: Chapters 9 and 10 of John Barleycorn, or Alcoholic Memoirs, by Jack London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 9 Gradual as was my development as a heavy drinker among the Oyster Pirates, the real heavy drinking came suddenly, and was the result not of desire for alcohol, but of an intellectual conviction. The more I saw of the life, the more I was enamored of it. I can never forget my thrills the first night i took part in a concerted raid when we assembled on board the annie rough men big and unafraid and weazened wharf rats some of them ex-convicts all of them enemies of the law and meriting jail in sea-boots and sea-gear talking in gruff low voices and Big George with revolvers strapped about his waist to show that he meant business. Oh, I know, looking back, that the whole thing was sordid and silly. But I was not looking back in those days when I was rubbing shoulders with John Barleycorn and beginning to accept him. The life was brave and wild, and I was living the adventure I had read so much about. Nelson, young Scratch they called him, to distinguish him from old Scratch, his father, sailed in the sloop Reindeer, partners with one Clam. Clam was a daredevil but Nelson was a reckless maniac. He was twenty years old with the body of a Hercules. When he was shot in Benicia a couple of years later, the coroner said he was the greatest shouldered man he had ever seen laid on a slab. Nelson could not read or write. He had been dragged up "'by his father on San Francisco Bay, "'and boats were second nature with him. "'His strength was prodigious, "'and his reputation along the waterfront for violence "'was anything but savory. "'He had berserker rages and did mad, terrible things. "'I made his acquaintance the first cruise of the Razzle-Dazzle,' and saw him sail the reindeer in a blow, and dredge oysters all around the rest of us, as we lay at two anchors, troubled with fear of going ashore. He was some man, this Nelson, and when, passing by the last chance saloon, he spoke to me, I felt very proud. "'but try to imagine my pride when he promptly asked me in to have a drink. "'I stood at the bar and drank a glass of beer with him "'and talked manfully of oysters and boats "'and of the mystery of who had put the load of buckshot through the Annie's mainsail. "'We talked and lingered at the bar,' IT SEEMED TO ME STRANGE THAT WE LINGERED. WE HAD HAD OUR BEER. BUT WHO WAS I TO LEAD THE WAY OUTSIDE WHEN GREAT NELSON CHOSE TO LEAN AGAINST THE BAR? AFTER A FEW MINUTES, TO MY SURPRISE, HE ASKED ME TO HAVE ANOTHER DRINK, WHICH I DID. AND STILL WE TALKED, AND NELSON EVINCED NO INTENTION OF LEAVING THE BAR. Bear with me while I explain the way of my reasoning and of my innocence. First of all, I was very proud to be in the company of Nelson, who was the most heroic figure among the Oyster Pirates and Bay Adventurers. Unfortunately for my stomach and mucous membranes... Nelson had a strange quirk of nature that made him find happiness in treating me to a beer. I had no moral disinclination for beer, and just because I didn't like the taste of it and the weight of it was no reason I should forego the honor of his company. It was his whim to drink beer, and to have me drink beer with him. Very well— I WOULD PUT UP WITH THE PASSING DISCOMFORT. SO WE CONTINUED TO TALK AT THE BAR, AND TO DRINK BEER ORDERED AND PAID FOR BY NELSON. I THINK NOW, WHEN I LOOK BACK UPON IT, THAT NELSON WAS CURIOUS. HE WANTED TO FIND OUT JUST WHAT KIND OF A GINK I WAS. HE WANTED TO SEE HOW MANY TIMES I'D LET HIM TREAT WITHOUT OFFERING TO TREAT IN RETURN. After I had drunk half a dozen glasses, my policy of temperateness in mind, I decided that I had had enough for that time. So I mentioned that I was going aboard the Razzle Dazzle, then lying at the city wharf a hundred yards away. I said good-bye to Nelson and went on down the wharf, but... JOHN BARLEYCORN, TO THE EXTENT OF SIX GLASSES, WENT WITH ME. MY BRAIN TINGLED AND WAS VERY MUCH ALIVE. I WAS UPLIFTED BY MY SENSE OF MANHOOD. I, TRULY TRUE OYSTER PIRATE, WAS GOING ABOARD MY OWN BOAT AFTER HOBNOBBING IN THE LAST CHANCE WITH NELSON the greatest oyster pirate of us all. Strong in my brain was the vision of us leaning against the bar and drinking beer. And curious it was, I decided, this whim of nature that made men happy in spending good money for beer for a fellow like me who didn't want it. As I pondered this, I recollected THAT SEVERAL TIMES OTHER MEN, IN COUPLES, HAD ENTERED THE LAST CHANCE, AND FIRST ONE, THEN THE OTHER, HAD TREATED TO DRINKS. I REMEMBERED ON THE DRUNK ON THE IDLER HOW SCOTTY AND THE HARPOONER AND MYSELF HAD RAKED AND SCRAPED DIMES AND NICKELS WITH WHICH TO BUY THE WHISKEY. THEN CAME MY BOY CODE, WHEN ON A DAY A FELLOW GAVE ANOTHER A CANNONBALL OR A CHUNK OF TAFFY, ON SOME OTHER DAY HE WOULD EXPECT TO RECEIVE BACK A CANNONBALL OR A CHUNK OF TAFFY. THAT WAS WHY NELSON HAD LINGERED AT THE BAR. HAVING BOUGHT A DRINK, HE HAD WAITED FOR ME TO BUY ONE. I HAD LET HIM BUY SIX DRINKS, and I never once offered to treat. And he was the great Nelson. I could feel myself blushing with shame. I sat down on the stringer piece of the wharf and buried my face in my hands. And the heat of my shame burned up my neck and into my cheeks and forehead. I have blushed many times in my life but never have I experienced so terrible a blush as that one. And sitting there on the stringer piece in my shame, I did a great deal of thinking and transvaluing of values. I had been born poor. Poor I had lived. I had gone hungry on occasion. I had never had toys nor playthings like other children. MY FIRST MEMORIES OF LIFE WERE PINCHED BY POVERTY. THE PINCH OF POVERTY HAD BEEN CHRONIC. I WAS EIGHT YEARS OLD WHEN I WORE MY FIRST LITTLE UNDERSHIRT ACTUALLY SOLD IN A STORE ACROSS THE COUNTER. AND THEN IT HAD BEEN ONLY ONE LITTLE UNDERSHIRT. WHEN IT WAS SOILED, I HAD TO RETURN TO THE AWFUL HOME-MADE THINGS UNTIL IT WAS WASHED. I HAD BEEN SO PROUD OF IT that I insisted on wearing it without any outer garment. For the first time I mutinied against my mother, mutinied myself into hysteria, until she let me wear the store undershirt so all the world could see. Only a man who has undergone famine can properly value food. Only sailors and desert dwellers know the meaning of fresh water and only a child, with a child's imagination, can come to know the meaning of things it has long been denied. I early discovered that the only things I could have were those I got for myself. My meager childhood developed meagerness. The first thing I had been able to get for myself had been cigarette pictures, cigarette posters and cigarette albums. I had not had the spending of the money I earned, so I traded extra newspapers for these treasures. I traded duplicates with the other boys, and circulating as I did all about town, I had greater opportunities for trading and acquiring. It was not long before I had complete every series issued by every cigarette manufacturer, such as the great race horses, Parisian beauties, women of all nations, flags of all nations, noted actors, champion prize fighters, etc. AND EACH SERIES I HAD THREE DIFFERENT WAYS, IN THE CARD FROM THE CIGARETTE PACKAGE, IN THE POSTER, AND IN THE ALBUM. THEN I BEGAN TO ACCUMULATE DUPLICATE SETS, DUPLICATE ALBUMS, I TRADED FOR OTHER THINGS THAT BOYS VALUED, AND WHICH THEY USUALLY BOUGHT WITH MONEY GIVEN THEM BY THEIR PARENTS naturally they did not have the keen sense of values that i had who was never given money to buy anything i traded for postage stamps for minerals for curios for birds eggs for marbles i had a more magnificent collection of agates than i have ever seen any boy possess and the nucleus of the collection was a handful worth of at least three dollars which i had kept as security for twenty cents i loaned to a messenger boy who was sent to reform school before he could redeem them i'd trade anything and everything for anything else and turn it over in a dozen more trades until it was transmuted into something that was worth something. I was famous as a trader. I was notorious as a miser. I could even make a junk man weep when I had dealings with him. Other boys called me in to sell for them their collection of bottles, rags, old iron, green, and gunny-sacks, and five-gallon oil-cans, Ay, and give me a commission for doing it. And this was the thrifty, close-fisted boy, accustomed to slave at a machine for ten cents an hour, who sat on the stringer piece, and considered the matter of beer at five cents a glass, and gone in a moment with nothing to show for it. I was now with men I admired. I was proud to be with them. Had all my pinching and saving brought me equivalent of one of the many thrills which had been mine since I came among the Oyster Pirates? Then what was worth while money or thrills?' These men had no horror of squandering a nickel or many nickels. They were magnificently careless of money, calling up eight men to drink whiskey at ten cents a glass, as French Frank had shown. Why, Nelson had just spent sixty cents on beer for the two of us. Which was it to be? I WAS AWARE THAT I WAS MAKING A GRAVE DECISION. I WAS DECIDING BETWEEN MONEY AND MEN, BETWEEN NIGGARDLINESS AND ROMANCE. EITHER I MUST THROW OVERBOARD ALL MY OLD VALUES OF MONEY, AND LOOK UPON IT AS SOMETHING TO BE FLUNG ABOUT WASTEFULLY, or I must throw overboard my comradeship with these men whose peculiar quirks made them like strong drink. I retraced my steps up the wharf to the last chance, where Nelson still stood outside. Come on and have a beer, I invited. Again we stood at the bar and drank and talked. BUT THIS TIME IT WAS I WHO PAID TEN CENTS. A WHOLE HOUR OF MY LABOR AT A MACHINE FOR A DRINK OF SOMETHING I DIDN'T WANT AND WHICH TASTED ROTTEN. BUT IT WASN'T DIFFICULT. I HAD ACHIEVED A CONCEPT. MONEY NO LONGER COUNTED. IT WAS COMRADESHIP THAT COUNTED. HAVE ANOTHER? I ASKED. And we had another, and I paid for it. Nelson, with the wisdom of the skilled drinker, said to the barkeeper, Make mine a small one, Johnny. Johnny nodded and gave him a glass that contained only a third as much as the glasses we had been drinking, yet the charge was the same, five cents. BY THIS TIME I WAS GETTING NICELY JINGLED. SO SUCH EXTRAVAGANCE DIDN'T HURT ME MUCH. BESIDES, I WAS LEARNING. THERE WAS MORE IN THIS BUYING OF DRINKS THAN MERE QUANTITY. I GOT MY FINGER ON IT. THERE WAS A STAGE WHEN THE BEER DIDN'T COUNT AT ALL, BUT JUST THE SPIRIT OF COMRADESHIP OF DRINKING TOGETHER. AND HA! Another thing, I, too, could call for small beers and minimize by two-thirds the detestable freightage with which comradeship burdened one. I had to go aboard to get some money, I remarked casually as we drank, in the hope Nelson would take it as an explanation of why I had let him treat six consecutive times oh well you didn't have to do that he answered johnny'll trust a fellow like you won't you johnny sure johnny agreed with a smile how much you got down against me nelson queried JOHNNY PULLED OUT THE BOOK HE KEPT BEHIND THE BAR, FOUND NELSON'S PAGE, AND ADDED UP THE ACCOUNT OF SEVERAL DOLLARS. AT ONCE I BECAME POSSESSED WITH A DESIRE TO HAVE A PAGE IN THAT BOOK. ALMOST IT SEEMED THE FINAL BADGE OF MANHOOD. AFTER A COUPLE MORE DRINKS, FOR WHICH I INSISTED ON PAYING, NELSON DECIDED TO GO. We parted true comradely, and I wandered down the wharf to the razzle-dazzle. Spider was just building the fire for supper. Where'd you get it!' he grinned up at me, through the open companion. "'Oh, I've been with Nelson,' I said carelessly, trying to hide my pride. Then an idea came to me. Here was another one of them.' now that i had achieved my concept i might as well practice it thoroughly come on i said up to johnny's and have a drink going up the wharf we met clam coming down clam was nelson's partner and he was a fine brave handsome moustached man of thirty everything in short that his nickname did not connote come on i said and have a drink he came as we turned into the last chance there was pat the queen's brother coming out what's your hurry i greeted him we're having a drink come on along i've just had one he demurred what of it we're having one now i retorted and pat consented to join us and i melted my way into his good graces with a couple of glasses of beer oh i was learning things that afternoon about john barleycorn there was more in him than the bad taste when you swallowed him here at the absurd cost of ten cents A gloomy, grouchy individual, who threatened to become an enemy, was made into a good friend. He became even genial, his looks were kindly, and our voices mellowed together as we talked waterfront and oyster-bed gossip. "'Small beer for me, Johnny,' I said, when the others had ordered schooners. Yes and I said it like the accustomed drinker, carelessly, casually, as a sort of spontaneous thought that had just occurred to me. Looking back, I am confident that the only one there who guessed I was a tyro at bar drinking was Johnny Heinhold. "'Where'd he get it?' I overheard Spider confidentially asked Johnny. Oh, he's been sousing here with Nelson all afternoon, was Johnny's answer. I never let on that I'd heard, but proud? Aye, even the barkeeper was giving me a recommendation as a man. He's been sousing here with Nelson all afternoon. Magic words. The accolade delivered by a barkeeper with a beer glass. I remembered that French Frank had treated Johnny the day I bought the razzle-dazzle. The glasses were filled and we were ready to drink. Have something yourself, Johnny, I said, with an air of having intended to say it all the time, but of having been a trifle remiss because of the interesting conversation I had been holding with Clam and Pat. Johnny looked at me with quick sharpness, divining, I am positive, the strides I was making in my education, and poured himself whiskey from his private bottle. This hit me for a moment on my thrifty side. He had taken a ten-cent drink, when the rest of us were drinking five-cent drinks. But the hurt was only for a moment. I dismissed it as ignoble, remembering my concept, and did not give myself away. "'You'd better put me down in the book for this,' I said, when we had finished the drink. And I had the satisfaction of seeing a fresh page devoted to my name, and a charge penciled for a round of drinks amounting to thirty cents. And I glimpsed, as through a golden haze, a future wherein that page would be much charged and crossed off and charged again. I treated a second time around, and then, to my amazement, johnny redeemed himself in that matter of the ten-cent drink he treated us around from behind the bar and i decided that he had arithmetically even things up handsomely let's go around to the st louis house spider suggested when we got outside pat who had been shoveling coal all day, had gone home, and Clam had gone upon the reindeer to cook supper. So around Spider and I went to the St. Louis house, my first visit, a huge barroom, where perhaps fifty men, mostly longshoremen, were congregated. And there I met Soup Kennedy for the second time, and bill kelly and smith of the annie drifted in he of the belt buckled revolvers and nelson showed up and i met others including the vigi brothers who ran the place and the chiefest of all joe goose with the wicked eyes the twisted nose and the flowered vest who played the harmonica like a roistering angel, and who went on the most atrocious tears that even the Oakland waterfront could conceive of and admire. As I bought drinks, others treated as well, the thought flickered across my mind that Mammy Jenny "'wasn't going to be repaid much on her loan "'out of that week's earnings of the razzle-dazzle. "'But what of it I thought, "'or rather John Barleycon thought it for me. "'You're a man, and you're getting acquainted with men. "'Mammy Jenny doesn't need the money as promptly as all that. "'She isn't starving, you know that. "'She's got other money in the bank.' let her wait and pay her back gradually and thus it was i learned another trait of john barleycorn he inhibits morality wrong conduct that is impossible for one to do sober is done quite easily when one is not sober in fact it is the only thing one can do "'for John Barleycorn's inhibition rises like a wall "'between one's immediate desires and long-learned morality. "'I dismissed my thought of debt to Mammy Jenny "'and proceeded to get acquainted at the trifling expense "'of some trifling money and a jingle that was growing unpleasant.' WHO TOOK ME ON BOARD AND PUT ME TO BED THAT NIGHT, I DO NOT KNOW. BUT I IMAGINE IT MUST HAVE BEEN SPIDER. END OF CHAPTER NINE CHAPTER TEN AND SO I WON MY MANHOOD spurs, MY STATUS ON THE WATERFRONT AND WITH THE OYSTER-PIRATES BECAME IMMEDIATELY EXCELLENT. I was looked upon as a good fellow, as well as no coward. And somehow, from the day I achieved that concept sitting on the stringer piece of the Oakland City Wharf, I have never cared much for money. No one has ever considered me a miser since, while my carelessness of money is a source of anxiety and worry. "'to some that know me. "'So completely did I break with my parsimonious past "'that I sent word home to my mother "'to call in the boys of the neighborhood "'and give to them all my collections. "'I never even cared to learn "'what boys got what collections. "'I was a man now, "'and I made a clean sweep "'of everything that bound me to my boyhood.' my reputation grew when the story went around the waterfront of how french frank had tried to run me down with his schooner and of how i had stood on the deck of the razzle dazzle a cocked double barrel shotgun in my hands steering with my feet and holding her to her course and compelled him to put up his wheel and keep away the waterfront decided that there was something in me despite my youth. And I continued to show what was in me. There were the times I brought the razzle-dazzle in with a bigger load of oysters than any other two-man craft. There was the time when we raided far down in Lower Bay and mine was the only craft back at daylight to the anchorage off Asparagus Island. There was the Thursday night we raced for market, and I brought the razzle-dazzle in without a rudder, first of the fleet, and skimmed the cream of the Friday morning trade. And there was the time I brought her in from Upper Bay under a jib when Scotty burned my mainsail yes it was scotty of the idler adventure irish had followed spider on board the razzle dazzle and scotty turning up had taken irish's place but the things i did on the water only partly counted what completed everything and won for me the title of prince of the oyster beds was that I was a good fellow ashore with my money, buying drinks like a man. I little dreamed that the time would come when the Oakland waterfront, which had shocked me at first, would be shocked and annoyed by the devilry of the things I did. But always the life was tied up with drinking. The saloons are poor men's clubs. SALOONS ARE CONGREGATING PLACES WE ENGAGE TO MEET ONE ANOTHER IN SALOONS WE CELEBRATED OUR GOOD FORTUNE OR WEPT OUR GRIEF IN SALOONS WE GOT ACQUAINTED IN SALOONS CAN I EVER FORGET THE AFTERNOON I MET OLD SCRATCH NELSON'S FATHER IT WAS IN THE LAST CHANCE JOHNNY Heinhold INTRODUCED US that old scratch was nelson's father was noteworthy enough but there was more to it than that he was owner and master of the scow schooner annie mine and some day i might ship as a sailor with him still more he was romance he was a blue-eyed yellow-haired raw-boned viking big-bodied and strong-muscled despite his age, and he had sailed the seas in ships of all nations in the old savage sailing days. I had heard many weird tales about him and worshipped him from a distance. It took the saloon to bring us together. Even so, our acquaintance might have been no more than a hand-grip and a word he was a laconic old fellow had it not been for the drinking have a drink i said with promptitude after the pause which i had learned good form in drinking dictates of course while we drank our beer which i had paid for it was incumbent on him to listen to me and to talk to me and johnny like a true host, made the tactful remarks that enabled us to find mutual topics of conversation. And of course, having drunk my beer, Captain Nelson must now buy beer in turn. This led to more talking, and Johnny drifted out of the conversation to wait on other customers. THE MORE BEER CAPTAIN NELSON AND I DRANK, THE BETTER WE GOT ACQUAINTED. IN ME HE FOUND AN APPRECIATIVE LISTENER, WHO BY VIRTUE OF BOOK-READING KNEW MUCH ABOUT THE SEA LIFE HE HAD LIVED. SO HE DRIFTED BACK TO HIS WILD YOUNG DAYS, AND spun MANY A RARE YARN FOR ME, WHILE WE DOWNED BEER, TREAT BY TREAT, "'although a blessed summer afternoon. "'And it was only John Barleycorn "'that made possible that long afternoon "'with the old sea dog. "'It was Johnny Heinhold "'who secretly warned me across the bar "'that I was getting pickled "'and advised me to take small beers.' BUT AS SOON AS CAPTAIN NELSON DRANK LARGE BEERS, MY PRIDE forbade ANYTHING ELSE THAN LARGE BEERS. AND NOT UNTIL THE SKIPPER ORDERED HIS FIRST SMALL BEER DID I ORDER ONE FOR MYSELF. OH, WHEN WE CAME TO A LINGERING FOND FAREWELL, I WAS DRUNK. BUT I HAD THE SATISFACTION OF SEEING OLD SCRATCH as drunk as i my youthful modesty scarcely let me dare believe that the hardened old buccaneer was even more drunk and afterwards from spider and pat and clam and johnny heinhold and others came the tips that old scratch liked me and had nothing but good words for the fine lad i was which was the more remarkable because he was known as a savage cantankerous old cuss who never liked anybody his very nickname scratch arose from a berserker trick of his in fighting of tearing off his opponent's face and that I had won his friendship, all thanks were due to John Barleycorn. I have given the incident merely as an example of the multitudinous lures and draws and services by which John Barleycorn wins his followers. End of Chapter 10